someone commented I brought a Bible to church today. I never actually had anyone accuse me of bringing a Bible. They, they said, uh, electronic age now, right? Everyone's supposed to be electronic Bibles on your Blackberries and iPhones. And, um, that was a powerful song. I was thinking we should just meditate on that and close in prayer and go home and, and uh, that'd be that. Cause, uh, wow. He loves us. Like the sloppy wet kiss. Sloppy wet kiss, yeah. Yeah, how do you how do you follow that? <laughs> Just add to the nerves. I'm nervous on a couple fronts. Um, one, I, I mean, I have to follow that song now, but also Craig, he's such a great teacher, and and uh, so thank you for inviting me to come here for the summer. And uh, and uh, don't worry, Craig will be back, and um, but I won't be as good as a speaker. I'm gonna warn you up front. He's funnier than I am, and. Uh, I try to work a little wit into my, my messages every so often. Um, uh, most people don't get that. If you do, there'll be a time of healing afterwards and prayer and um, God have mercy on your soul. But um, uh, my wife my wife was hoping to be here today, but we've had uh, we have we have four little girls. Uh, the two youngest ones are sick, so she she uh, lost the coin toss and she got to stay home with the sick girls, and I get to I get to come here and uh, and be with you guys. But um, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God has for us in the summer, and and uh, I want you to know that um, this is this is a really special opportunity, and I, and I love the the fact that we're in a living room, and and there's this proximity, and, and we're close, and um, and that that I hope changes some of the dynamic from what maybe your experience has been if you've grown up in church or been in church for a long time. Uh, sometimes this you know the time of the message becomes where someone preaches at people. And that's that's really not what I'm looking for. A, I'm not very good at that, so I, I don't want to do that alone. Um, but I, I want it to, to engage one another. I, I mean, we're going to have a time of discussion afterwards, uh, but even while I'm talking, you know, feel free to, to raise your hand and, and ask questions. And, and I don't promise answers because I might not know the answers, but, but I, I hope to have some... Oh, all right. oh <laughs> messing with me early. Oh, dear. Rough crowd. All right. Um, but I, I like the questions. I really do like questions. I think it's, uh, it helps. And, and, and so your engagement is, is, is crucial to this. Um, but even bigger than that, though, isn't so much what you hear me saying, but what you hear Father saying through me. Because I, I believe Father has, has put something on my heart to share with you. And, uh, and I'm going to share His Word, and, and I'm going to share His heart with you. That's what I hope you hear. And that's what makes you really nervous is the fact that we're, 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 we're touching God's Word. We're touching God. And that's serious stuff. And I don't take that lightly and I hope you guys don't either. And so um, why don't we pray and, and go to Him and hear what He has to say to us. Father, what a blessed opportunity to be here. To call You Father. To be to be loved by You. Hmm. I look forward to what You're going to do this morning, Father. And I ask that You speak through me and that You help us to see um, what Your heart is all about to us and to other people as we discover what it means to, to live and experience life in You in this church community. So we confess our dependence upon You, Father, and ask that you block away all the distractions that we've had from the past week and maybe this morning and that we hear from you. 
And we ask this in Your name. Amen. I've been meeting with your elders for uh, for almost a year now, um, and we've been been working and talking. and And Brian was sharing some of that story. And uh, as Brian said, they they thought this would be a good time to to take a pause and to think for the summer about why church. Why do we do church today in the in the twenty first century? Why why do we get together on Sunday mornings? Not you know particularly Sunday mornings, but why do we get together? What's the point of all this? What's the purpose of all this? Is it to make God just feel good about Himself and so we can count numbers and know where we all are? And I mean, why why do we do church? What do you guys think? Encourage the body. Encourage the body. What else? We need each other more than we yeah. Amen. I find I can listen to the same message at home and be impacted. But in a church environment, I am four times more impacted. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Here. There's something about being in a community. Um, if, you, if you brought your Bibles or your phones, um, turn to, to Acts. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. Acts 2 verse 42 says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. One of the, the chief purposes of church is, is teaching. That's a big part of church, is, is to have the, the, the teaching of the apostles, the Word of God being presented to us in a way that is honoring and truthful and uh, coherent so we can allow that word begin to change our hearts. But today, I mean, we live in a society where you don't need to go to church now to hear messages. Like like John was saying, you know, he can stay at home and watch a sermon. You can, In fact, you guys, as your church, you can stay at home and watch the very same sermon that everyone at church is watching. Um, you can you can stay home and and worship. I mean, you can worship in your car. You can worship while you're walking with your Blackberries and iPhones, and 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 you can you can hear all kinds of messages and wonderful teaching. And you don't even have to step foot into a church. So does that somewhat make this obsolete? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Um, because there's far more to the church than just the teaching part. There is this community that is so vital and so important. See, it goes on to say in verse 44, and all those who had believed were together and had things and all, had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from, from those from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the numbers day by day those who were being saved. 
there was something in that community that they were encouraging one another. They were, they were vitally present for another person. So if there was a need, they could be there to help that person. There, there was something that was so crucial about this, this community aspect of it. And so, in essence, they got together so they could love one another. That they could really just, just share in a community of grace and, and invite people to enter into a fellowship with Jesus Christ. So it was, it was a wonderful opportunity just to share life with other people. And so, as Brian was saying, you know, that's, that's kind of the goal for this summer is to talk about what that means. What does that look like and, and how, do that, how does that come to fruition? Now, there are, there are countless verses that I could list off or, or, or we could read that talk about, you know, that we're to love other people. I mean, the, the, the list is, is endless. Uh, to, to love other people as we love ourselves, to love them as God loved us, to love them sacrificially, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, which isn't so easy, uh, to love as God loved. And, and so there's, there's countless verses towards that. But there's, there's one verse that has been, been stuck in my head for about three years, and so I'm going to plague you with it as well. And uh, this verse is in 1 Timothy. So if you turn over to 1 Timothy, which I think is appropriate with what we're talking about, because Paul's letters to, the church, to Timothy was all about church. And how do you do church? And what does church look like? And the purpose and, and the point of church. And so, in First Timothy, we'll, we'll begin in chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urge you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on in Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God which is by faith. And here's verse 5. Verse 5 is the key one. But the goal of our instruction, the whole point of the teaching, why the message is, is important that we give you is for this goal, for this distinct purpose, is that we would love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's why we get together. To love people. To love everyone in this room, to love the people outside this room, because God so loved the world. He didn't just love us, He loves the world. And so, the goal is to love. How? From a pure heart a good conscience, and sincere faith. That's what I love about this verse. It, it tells us the what. What's the what? To love. to love. And then it tells us how. From a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith. And t- today, we're going to focus in on the goal. What does it mean to love? And, and then the rest of the, the summer, we're going to then discover the how. Because the how is so crucial. And I, and I think it's a message that has been been forgotten or, or missed or misunderstood maybe is the best way. How do we love? What does that look like and how do we actually do that? Because when you think about it, we're to love as who loved us. We're to love as Christ loved us. That's a pretty high standard. That means to love sacrificially. That means to love um, selflessly. That means to love 
perfectly. That's a high standard. And so we don't, we don't take this lightly when it comes to trying to love. So I'm not going to... Well, let me say this. The, the word love here is agape. And I'm not going to... That's the Greek word agape. And I'm not going to bore you on a, on, a, on a Greek word study of all the different words in Greek that are translated as love. But, but just know this. The word agape is reserved for the love of God. And so when Paul says here in Timothy, he's saying the goal of our instruction is to love, is to agape. And you see, God is love. God is agape. It's, it's much more than just something He has. It's who He is. It's the very essence of who He is. And so that's setting the standard for what it means to love people. And, and I don't think we've understood that as a church. I'm not, I'm not trying to be critical. I think we just need to be honest. Because when, when people look at the church today, they don't look at us and say, what a, what a goofy sort of bunch of people. But they do know how to love. We'll give them that. But I really don't get them because they're a little weird. They don't say that about us. I mean, to be a born-again Christian is a curse word for some people. You're not one of those born-again people, are you? They, they look at us because of how we've looked at them. We've come across very judgmental and critical and holier than thou. And very unloving. And I think that's just the honest reality of it. And that's where we're at. Interesting, that first verse that you read, you said the goal. And I think the church at large has a goal of saving people and not loving people. Because when your goal becomes saving people, then the love isn't there. The goal has to be love. Yeah. And in loving people, they will be saved. Mm-hmm. Don't get them saved. Love mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And, well, it, it's interesting. I think, you're, I think you, you make a valid point because in the goal is if it's to save people, once they're saved, we're done with them. But, but if the goal is just to save them, sure. then you've missed the entire mm-hmm. point. Christ didn't come to, to save us. He came to love us. Mm-hmm. And, but in, in the process of loving, I think, like you said, it will lead to saving. Mm-hmm. But, but if, if, you're, right, if your primary goal is just to save, then the moment they're saved, mission accomplished, now I'm done with you, I'm on to my next target now. Whereas it's much bigger than that. It's included, that's part of it. It's much bigger, though. It's, it's to love. And, and you're right, ultimately, Jesus is going to be the one that then saves them as a result. But let me, let me illustrate this to you. Um, I, I want you to imagine um, that for the last three months, um, or it's just come out uh, to, for, that, for the last three months, that you have been uh, getting drunk on a regular basis, You've been uh, heavily into drugs. You've been you've been visiting strip clubs. Maybe you've even performing in them, Joel. Um, you've um, some other uh, grievous sins. Um, you're a, you're a Montreal Canadiens fan, and you and you like country music. Hey. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about Joel here. So for the last three, you know, for the last three months, this has been your lifestyle, and you've kept it hidden for the most part, um, and then it's just come to light. Which which place would you be more scared or frightened to be in? Would it be in a room like this, 
filled with Christians who know all about your behavior, all your sins, even the Montreal Canadiens thing, for the last three months. They know all about it. Would you, would you be more afraid of that room or would you be more afraid of a room full of strangers that don't know anything about you? Where would, where would you dread more? <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't ask you because this is the church. <laughs> what does that say about everyone here? Yeah. Because I'd have to live with it for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And the feeling of, I'm not sure if they're going to forgive me. That's right. Or the strangers, they're probably just like me. And they're, they're, they're oblivious to me. And so what, I, what I'm most scared of is being open and honest with you. I fear the most you seeing me for me. Warts and all. I'm terrified that you might see that I have sins and shame. And afraid that I will have those knowing looks, whispers and gossips. People coming together and sharing my story under the guise that we should pray for them. But really just wanting to spread the the latest gossip. Have you heard? So we can pray. I'm afraid of being judged about being looked down upon, about having more condemnation and rejection. And so what do I do? I hide. I cover up. I'm afraid to let you see me for me. Sins and shame and all my perceived faults. And so I begin to put on a facade, I put on a mask, so you don't see that. I pretend. And so for some Christians then, when you ask them how they're doing, they begin to sound like Ned Flanders. Fine, fine, diddly, fine. Fine, great, 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 dandy, fine. Why do you ask? What have you heard? (laughs) What do you know? Where have you been? (laughs) Who have you been talking to? And there's this this fear that, that you'll know. And so I need to hide. I need to hide from you. And if there's ever a place that you can come and be open and honest and bare naked transparent where you can share everything that you're dealing with and still be loved and accepted. It ought to be this room. It doesn't matter what happened. It doesn't matter what you've done. This is a community of grace. A community of love people. But... I think what ends up happening is, is we become a community of good intentions. Let me explain what I mean by that. Um, because we do want to love people. It, it's instructed in us and we do have a desire to love people. But we go about loving people, I think, in a way that isn't, isn't right on target. It's a little bit off kilter, a little bit off skewed. And so what ends up happening is when people come in, we welcome them to our community. We invite them in and we, we you know, often say, just come just as you are. And, and we, it doesn't matter where you've been, you know, being an unbeliever or a non-Christian, the stranger that walks through that door, we just say, come on in and, and tell me all about your problems, all about your mistakes, all about your faults, your sins, your shame. And, and I promise to, to uh, I determine to stand by you, to walk by you as you deal with your sins in order that you may please God. Um, it is a love with best intentions. Wanting to help that person uh, be everything that God has made them to be 
in order to be free of their sin, in order that they might live a happy life free from their sin and failure. How does that sound? Unrealistic? Sounds frightening to me. Sounds horrible to me. Because it implies this message now that I gotta stop sinning. And that's the goal. That we welcome you just as you are, but now we're gonna fix you. Now we're gonna fix you and you sin less and, and, and you don't sin even anymore ultimately, and we'll fix all your problems. And then we'll please God with that. And now we're on this performance treadmill. And because the goal is to fix my sin and fix my shame, then what am I not allowed to have anymore? Sins and shame. I can't do that anymore. And if I do, I'm a failure. And failure is not an option. It is not okay to fail anymore. So it's not come just as you are. It's come just as you are, but you better not stay that way anymore because... You've got to get, get going. And so our mission to save people is come just as you are, but now that you're saved, now you've got to change. You are no longer acceptable anymore. You've got, to, you've got to fix it. You've got to be improving. You better be getting better. And the goal becomes this big performance. Really, it's all about sin management now. And we try to reduce the number of sins. We try to reduce our shame but you can't because you discover that day by day heap loads and mounds of sins and shame get added to your pile. So you go in with a shovel, you move one shovel full and then someone comes and dumps three wheelbarrows onto your mount. And it just seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you try harder and you dedicate and you strive more and it doesn't produce anything. It doesn't go anywhere. And so with good intentions and deep effort and dedication, we try to change, to improve, to work harder, to get fixed so we can sin less. We read books. We attend Bible studies. We pray more. We fast. We strive harder. We rededicate. And this time we really mean it. Only to find out that we're further into the hole that we started off with. And so we, we, we desperately are looking for love and acceptance. But the game is you're loved when you sin less. You're loved when you hurt me less. And so I've got to hide. I've got to strive. Now, to be fair, it doesn't always play out like that. In fact, I, I, was, I remember I was talking with the elders and, and Brian, he made a great point. He said, you know, we will love and accept you with your sin and your shame as long as you don't mess with mine. So you can have junk, you can have issues, you could you could be Joel, and and that's okay. But don't don't mess with me. Don't get into my kitchen. Don't don't stir up my sins and shame. Don't uncover my problems. Don't get me into your mess. So I will love you at a distance, as long as you don't hurt me. And so we still have that conditional love. That I'll love you if. Now, this is especially hard for those that appear to have it all together. 
because now, have, now they have the extra pressure that they're not supposed to have any sins and shame. And you see, there is nobody that has it all together. Nobody. There are only people that smell better, but they do not have it all together. Nobody has it all together. We all have sins and shame. And if you don't recognize that, then you're either Jesus Christ or you are greatly deceived or in serious denial. <laughs> We all have sins and shame. And if you don't see it, if you don't recognize that you have sins and shame, then you're either Jesus Christ, you are either greatly deceived into thinking you don't, or you're in denial that you don't have sins and shame. Well, the remedy is Jesus. And we're going we're gonna to get to that. Um, but I, I want you to see it's not primarily about fixing sins and shame. It's something so much better. And we have, we have settled for such a tiny, small goal. We've settled for something so small and God has something so much greater. He really does. And, and we're interested in, well, fix my sins and shame so I can be happy and more successful. And God says, that's not my agenda. I want something else for you. Something bigger for you. So today the church has defined loving others as helping others striving to fix their problems and sins in order that we may please God and be closer to Him. Let me say that again. The church today has defined loving others as helping others strive to fix their problems. And for some, the emphasis is on really helping you solve your problems, not mine because I don't have any. You, you are my problem. And if I can fix you, then I'll be okay. So it's fixing your problems, not mine, and your sins, not mine, in order that we may please God and get closer to Him. And we pray often, Lord, be with me. And that's one of the stupidest prayers you can ever pray. Because where does He live? Where does He reside? Where does He make His abode? In you. You can't get any closer. If you were any closer, He'd be you. He is in you. And you know when He said He'd leave? Never. Never. Never, ever, never, ever, never, 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 ever. Not once. Never. It doesn't matter what you do. That means if you go to the strip club, guess who you take with Him? When you get drunk, guess who's right there with you? He is. He's not ejecting, going, Oh, I can't be here. Sin. What am I going to do? He's got a remedy for that. He's not afraid of sins. He's really not. He's so much bigger than that. But because we are, we reduce this Christian life to one of sin management, striving to improve our flesh, hoping to fix our behavior. And then we judge success based on how you do it. Have you sinned less? Do you have less sense of shame? That becomes now success. But the goal
goal is not that. The goal is not just to sin less and get rid of the shame and fix our problems and go home. The goal isn't just to sing worship songs because you know what? God doesn't need you and I sing worship songs. Jesus says that nobody here worshipped Him, the rocks that would cry out and worship Him. Nature itself worships God. He doesn't need our song and praise. Instead, we gather here to be a community of grace. And a community of grace is so, so different than a community of good intentions. Where the good intentions is trying to fix you, a community of grace just loves and accepts you just as you are. If you get better or you get worse, it doesn't really matter. Do you ever wonder why our marriage vows say that? I will love you for better or for worse. Because that's what it's really saying. It's saying, I accept you as you are today. And if you turn into your mother or you don't, it doesn't really matter. I love you and I accept you as you are today. That may be a good thing, right? There are good mother-in-laws out there. I've got a great mother-in-law. Why? I mean... But a community of grace is a community where you are still acceptable on your worst day. <laughs> Should we have a time of testimony here? I'm recording this, by the way, so choose your words carefully. So a community of grace loves and accepts you where you are. A community of grace is a community where you're still acceptable on your worst day because Jesus made you acceptable. Where who you are is not based on what you've done, but based on the fact that Christ is in you. It's a safe place where you can be open, honest, and transparent with your struggles. A place where you can share your deepest and darkest secrets and shame and still be accepted, and maybe even more so for having the courage to do so. A place where my junk may affect you and make you messy and even expose your junk, and we would still be okay. A place where I can openly admit my struggles without you either rejecting me or immediately trying to fix me with the only purpose that I sin less. A place where the answer to the question is not always, the answer to the question, how are you doing, is not always fine. A place where others can lead me to Christ and where I can receive healing from Him and learn to trust Him. Because that's the goal. A place where I can listen to country music and not be judged by the guy speaking. A place where I am loved for who I am and not what I do or don't do. A place where I have the freedom to fail. To make mistakes. But I'm encouraged to keep trusting Jesus. A place where I am loved and acceptable the entire time that I am a glorious mess. See, when did Jesus come to live inside you? When you got your act together? No. He didn't wait for that. In fact, He couldn't wait to get inside us. He couldn't wait to be with us. So it makes that song so powerful. Oh, how He loves you. Period. Full stop. It's not He loves you when you do this. It's not He loves you when you're doing that or when you're not doing this or not doing that. He loves you period. 
While you and I were sinners, it says in Romans 5 eight, while we were rotten fruit, while we were disgusting enemies of God, spitting on His face, He proved and demonstrated His love by dying on that cross for you and I. Don't lose sight of that. That is such powerful, amazing truth that He was willing to say, I'd rather die than be without you. And so He loves you just as you are. Period. So being a community of grace means that we are primarily interested in knowing this One who loves us and knowing Jesus. Knowing His righteousness and knowing His power of, the, of His resurrection. It's about knowing Him more than it is about living in a certain way and certain behavior. It's about trusting Him. And it's amazing when I, when I share this and I talk with this with people, the immediate fear is what? What will people do if they just only focus on the love of God and the grace of God regardless of whether they get better or worse? What's the great fear? They're going to sin more. And I, I can tell you time and time again, the answer is the exact opposite. I give you, the great, greatest story I, could, I can give you is one because it's close to my heart. It's my brother-in-law. His name was Charlie. A U.S. Marine. And he was raised in the church and, and um, he's my, my wife's brother-in-law. So my, he married my wife's sister who is a child of missionary. And he just looked at you know, this family of missionaries and thought, I'm just such a wretched Christian. I'm a Marine. I mean, I'm no one like, your, like his father-in-law who's a missionary. I'm, I'm a Marine. I smoke and I drink and I cuss and I, 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 I've killed a person in, in a war. And I'm a horrible person. And so he lived like one. And then one day he had the opportunity to discover that Jesus loves him. Full stop. That he is acceptable as he can ever be. He can't get any more acceptable. He can't get any more loved. He is perfectly loved by Jesus. And it stunned him. In fact, he got lost on the way home from, from hearing that. And, and he was just so enraptured with this truth that, he, that he's loved by Jesus. You know what he began to do? All those things, every Sunday he heard that he was supposed to do, but he never felt he could do before. But then he just began to do them naturally. In fact, he began to witness with people. Something he'd never done before. He was handing out case for Christ and, and telling people about Jesus and, and how much he loves them. In fact, he said one day, you know, if I were to die tomorrow, I know where I'd go. I'm with Jesus. He began to make plans to be a missionary. He was so excited about the love that God had for him, it motivated him to go and love other people. Incredible. Grace doesn't lead you to sin. Grace leads you to trust Jesus more. And the more you trust Jesus, yes, you will sin less, and yes, you'll receive healing, but that's not even the primary focus. See, Hebrews 11.6 says, without trusting God, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. What we've done is we've made pleasing God our ultimate purpose. And then when I please God, then I can begin to trust Him. When I've gotten my act together and I've gotten rid of all my sins and shame, then I can approach Him because He's a holy God. Other way around. Approach Him just as you are. And as a community of grace, we are to be that people, that group 
that, that drives people to Jesus. It says, run to Him. Don't hide. You don't have to hide from me. I accept you. I love you. I'm right here. I love you even if you have junk that gets in my face that makes me messy. And it's not an easy love. It's not a... It's not love that you'll find in a Hallmark card. It's something far more real and far more substantial. Because I, I know how hard it is to love people when they get and raise up your sins and shame. I struggle so much with my kids. Because my kids, they will frustrate me. Namely because I'm trying to control them, which I shouldn't be doing, but I'm trying to control them. And they're not listening because they're not controllable. And so I get frustrated. And I get upset with them. But that's not their problem. That's mine. And we should be able to share problems with each other. Hoping that we'll lead you, lead me back to Jesus. To find life in Him. To find grace in Him. That's what it means to be a community of grace. So I love you as you are. Not just in word, but in deed. I love you with the very love that Jesus loves me. And we're going to spend the whole summer explaining that. Because to love as Jesus loved you and I is not difficult, it's impossible. And we've got to discover how we do that and it's all found in trusting Him. Without trusting God, you cannot please Him. And so we're going to unpack that to close, I want to share a passage out of Galatians 6 from the Message Bible. This is where your smartphones come in handy because you can switch translations pretty quick. But, but Eugene Peterson, Peterson he, he paraphrased Galatians 6, 14 and 15 this way. He says, For my part, I am going to boast in nothing but the cross of our Master Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into little patterns that, that they dictate. Let me read that again. I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into little patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all this? It's not what you and I do. Submit to circumcision. Reject circumcision. It's not about our performance but what God is doing. And He's creating something new, totally new. A free life. All who walk by this standard are the true Israel of God. There is chosen people. Peace and mercy upon them. It's about what God's up to. And I, I'm so excited for you guys because you have an opportunity to be a community of grace. To be a community of people that share Jesus, share His life, share His love, and be the opportunity to share that with the world. It starts with ourselves, but then to the world around us. So our goal is to love, to agape as a community of others, to be a safe haven for those with sins and shame. I.e., that's everyone. And the goal is to encourage people to trust Jesus, not to sin less, but to know Him intimately in the power of His resurrection. That's what's paramount. Now, how we do that, we're going to spend the rest of the summer on. But I think we should 
we should stop here because I, I want let this sink in and let this begin to, to grab our hearts. Because if we don't really grab onto this and we don't really make this our, our goal in terms of what we want to do as a group, then might as well close up shop. It's not worth it. And then we're just playing games and playing church and you're just wasting your time. You'd be far better off sleeping in on Sunday morning and not having to get dressed and just watch Craig on your TV at home. But if we can be a real authentic community, an authentic group of people that, that loves, what a difference that would make.